Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Former Bobby Lowe, welcome to Bobby Las Vegas for Jessica Seeps with myself, Greg Eats Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you guys. Justin Perry, he does amazing work over at Talk Quality Bets. Going to be joining me in segment number two, a man that is no stranger to this podcast or the Greg Peterson experience on Beeson is going to be talking about all that we have seen the first week of the NCAA tournament, how he's been reacting to things, some of the Sweet 16 matchups that he's looking at, and so much more. On top of that, we're also going to be addressing with him the totals that we've been seeing in the NCAA tournament. A whole bunch of unders, so we've got a lot to discuss with our good friend Justin in segment number two. In the final segment, we don't have any NCAA tournament games today, but we've got four games on the CBI. I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on all four of those games being played in the great state of Florida as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters here. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a nice day of basketball on Sunday. Let's take a look back at it. Tried to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Well, unfortunately, the, the DK Nation pick in this one did not come through. The spread did, but I had the over with the write-up. Uh, you had a very icy performance from Michigan State from 3 at 2 of 16, yet they still overcome it. They knock off Marquette 69 to 60. I'm wondering how much the thumb issue was hurting Tyler Kolek. It looked like it was a combination of things. It looked like the thumb issue was hurting him a little bit, and at the same time, he just was flat out making some bad decisions as well. Seven points and six turnovers for a guy that typically does a good job taking care of the ball. Marquette, 16 turnovers in this game. They go 11 to 27 from three. Michigan State goes two of 16, and yet it's Michigan State who's able to get the job done because they also were able to win the battle down low. Michigan State wins a rebound battle by a count of 36 to 31. You had a pair of guys enjoy house or long with Maddie Sissoko combined for 20 rebounds for Michigan State. For Marquette, it was Olivier Maximine Prosper that tried to keep the team in it. He had 16 points, went 3 of 7 from 3-point range, but no question about it. Not a good performance there from Marquette. Not a great performance from the Kentucky Guards as this was one that if you took it very late, you got the over. If you took this overnight, you were able to get the under. 75-69, to 69, Kansas State gets it done, and you had a 89-point second half, by the way. This game was a slog throughout because for Kentucky, Antonio Reeves goes 1 of 15 from the floor. Jacob Toppin, 1 of 7. The bigger thing to me, though, is that, honestly, 
Kentucky didn't shoot a whole heck of a lot worse than Kansas State, but they turned the ball over 16 times at Kansas State's 8. That, to me, was a big significance. Oscar Sheboy, 25 points, 18 rebounds. As a collective, Kansas State had just 25 rebounds, but they weren't able to take advantage because of those turnovers and because Antonio Reeves was colder than an igloo. Meanwhile, Marquise Noel, he was the best player on the floor in terms of a backcourt perspective. 27 points, 9 assists. He did have four turnovers in this game, but was able to spearhead Kansas State to victory as players not named Noel. They went 2 of 12 from three-point range for Kansas State in the early game. We did see Xavier be able to take apart Pittsburgh 84 to 73 as for Pittsburgh, they were able to force a very dry run from Xavier to be able to get back into this game late, but Xavier, they were able to put on the Jets. They were able to cover this game as they go 8 of 24 for 3, and it was Adam Kunkel who was really good. Uncle was this guy good. 15 points, goes 5 of 8 from 3-point range. Every single one of the Xavier scores scores in double figures, and Desmond Claude off the bench was able to deliver 11 points. Meanwhile, for Pittsburgh, they went 27 of 70 from the floor. They didn't do a terrible job in terms of rebounding. They actually grabbed 10 offensive rebounds to the 7 of Xavier, as you did have one of the Diaz-Grand brothers and Guillermo Diaz-Grand be able to haul in their 5 offensive rebounds, 3 blocks, 11 points, but you didn't necessarily get the world's greatest effort out of Nelly Cummings along with Greg Elliott. A combined 15 points on 20 shots, just not going to cut it for Pittsburgh. As I am doing this, we've got a few games that are wrapping up in the NCAA tournament, so we'll give you a little bit of NIT and CBI before we give you guys the nightcap, and this was just absolutely ridiculous. If you, like me, took the bunny line with Cleveland State, thoughts and prayers to you, because Cleveland State was up 7 points with 3 minutes remaining, and they lost by 16. They got outscored in overtime 17-1. to Eastern Kentucky gets a win 91-75. to This game was 74-74 to at the end of regulation, so over was going to hit regardless. But I mean, talk about Cleveland State completely just throwing this game straight down the tubes. That's exactly what happened as Cleveland State got mauled on the glass, losing that battle 50-29. to Isaiah Kozar, 20.17 rebounds for Eastern Kentucky. And for Cleveland State, they went 4 of 18 from 3 fire range. Big reason why they held in this game is that they were able to win the turnover battle 13-10 in Eastern Kentucky. They were not able to get things going until overtime, and then overtime hit, and they just completely exploded. So there was that. Wisconsin on the closing number got a push. If you took the overnight 3-3.5, to three and a half, you were able to get there with them as Liberty. They made like your buddy at the bar and could not close. 75-71, to 71, Wisconsin gets a win. Liberty, 10 points in the final 10-20 for them. They were leading by 7 with about 10 minutes remaining. And, I mean, for that matter, Liberty had themselves a lead with under 5 minutes remaining, but they just weren't able to get it done as for Wisconsin. They win this game despite going 1-15 of 15 from 3 power range. It was a significantly quicker Wisconsin game than we're typically used to seeing as they won 20 of 24 at the free throw line. Liberty 11 of 17 at the charity stripe that costed them as Darius McGee 31 points for Liberty. Everyone else they did not necessarily give the world's greatest performance. Out in the CBI, Rice, we give our Ode to Lane Kiffin Goels. They take down Duquesne by a count of 84-78, to 78, a very topsy-turvy Duquesne team that went 14-36 of 36 from three-point range. The problem was they also lost a turnover battle, 14-11, to 11, and you had Quincy Oliveri go off for 19 points as Rice shoots 57% from the floor. They went just 5-17 of 17 from three-point range, Rice did, but they also went 27 out of 39 from two-point range to be able to get that one in in the NIT Oklahoma State. A win, but no cover. You were able to get a push if you took it late. 
Took the overnight number of more around 11.5 with Eastern Washington. You got the cover there. 71-60 to 60 the final. Oklahoma State, by the way, does go 11-24 from three. They've been without Avery Anderson for the longest of time. But Bryce Thompson, he supplies 22 points. And for Eastern Washington, a team that was quite solid against the spread all season long. They go just 9 of 31 from three-point range. But Angelo Algieri kept the team lively. He had 17 points. He was able to go 4 of 8 from three-point range. So he did his part as Eastern Washington 20-12-1 against the spread overall this season. So they were certainly able to make you some coin. UAB, they have been the second-best over team in all of college basketball. They play a rare under because Morehead State just couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. They go 7-33 from three, and UAB, they get a 77-59 win for Morehead State. I mean, they did a good job protecting the ball. They turned the ball over just six times. They get bludgeoned on the glasses. Trey Jemison, 11 points, 16 boards, three blocks for the true seven-footer. And for UAB, Jordan Jelly Walker had only five points in this game, so they spread the wealth as it was Ty Brewer who took over this game, 25 points on 12 of 18 shooting. And for more, I'd say they just couldn't get anything to drop. North Texas, they got everything to drop. Sam Houston State, one of your most profitable teams in all of college basketball. They were not able to lend you a profit in this one as you did see North Texas, the mean green, be able to get it done by kind of 75 to 55. Still a very good year for Sam Houston State, a team that I was really hoping was going to be able to make the NCAA tournament. They went 18-11-1 against the spread, but North Texas went 16-29 to for three-point range here. We're at 1.16 of 26 from distance as you had a high parry along with Reuben Jones combined to go 11 of 14 from three with a combined 40 points. That right there was the difference. Sam Houston State, they go 7-24 to from three-point range. Sam Houston State actually plays even up on the glass. They have two fewer turnovers, but when you've got a pair of guys like that shooting the way that they did from three-point range, that was rather rambunctious. And we did see, actually, three of the four CPI games from uh, Sunday go to overtime. Radford in overtime, they take down Tarleton State 72-70. to As for Tarleton State, they got 30 points out of Freddie Hicks and actually out-rebounded Radford. They came into this game 324th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Radford has been dealing with a lot with Darius Nick their coach getting arrested for a drunken driving charge. He was back on the uh, sidelines in this one and team responded with Taquan Smith, Brian Antoine being able to supply a combined 33 points. Radford goes 7-15 from three-point range, so they were able to survive in advance. You also saw a survive in advance ordeal for our good friends UW-Milwaukee. They take down Stetson by count of 87-83. Stetson, they go 28-77 of 77 per, from the floor. This game was all sorts of rambunctious, crazy, and up-tempo. UW-Milwaukee, they have B.J. Freeman really do a good job getting to the free throw line. 43 points. He goes 10 of 20 from the floor, but 10 of 22 at the free throw line. So that was crazy. And UW-Milwaukee, a team that turns the ball for quite a bit, they won that turnover battle by a count of 15 to 9. So that got it in for them. UConn, they take down St. Mary's by a count of 70 to 55. And UConn, this team just continues to be a bulldozer against the spread. 23 and 11 ATS as for St. Mary's, they shot just 39% from the floor. And shocker, UConn was able to win the rebound battle, 32 to 23. As Adama Sanogo made things a go-go. 24 points, 8 boards, 11 of 16 from the floor. UConn as a whole, they shoot 54%. From the field, Tristan Newton did have four turnovers in this game, but all in all, a very good effort from UConn with Donovan Klingon coming off the bench. He was able to supply 
three blocks as well. And then you did see Creighton be able to take down Baylor 85-76, to a Baylor team that has not been able to do a great job on defense all season long as Creighton, they go 11 of 24 from three-point range. It was the Ryan Nemhart show, 30 points, just one turnover. He was incredible for Creighton. They actually did lose the turnover battle by kind of 14 to 10, but they were able to win the rebound battle 34 to 29 as Ryan Kalkbrenner down low, 10 points, seven boards, a block. He didn't necessarily shoot a lot of threes. That was more or less the job of Fran Farabello, who came in off the bench, gave the team nine points, and LJ Cryer, he supplied 30 for Baylor. Not a lot of anything else was doing for Baylor in this one, though. In the late session on Sunday, we saw a basket significant to many as Gonzaga. They're able to get it done against TCU, but they do not get the cover. 84-81, to 81, the final as Damian Baugh in the closing seconds was able to knock down a three. It's of significance because Gonzaga laying on a lot of closing numbers, four and a half. They were five in some spots earlier on on Sunday slash very, very late Saturday as well. But for Gonzaga, they go just 8 of 25 from three-point range, but Drew Timmy had himself a day. He had 28 points. Anton Watson, by the way, a little bit of an under-the-radar guy. He's able to help Gonzaga win the rebound battle 43-36 to as he pulled in their 12 boards, three steals. He had a block as well, and it was Mr. Baugh who was able to give the team 15 points, eight boards, four assists for TCU. And TCU actually won the, re- the turnover battle by a count of 11-9, but TCU also won 12-20 of at the free throw line. Gonzaga, not a like a lot better at 16-25, of but very up-tempo, rapid game that goes over. And we did see overs by the way, in Sunday in college basketball, goes six and two in the NCAA tournament, and this is one from the NIT that went over as well. And one of the most profitable teams in all of college basketball this season has been Utah Valley, and they continue to be making you just a whole bundle of money. As for Utah Valley, they get the win, they get the cover against Colorado. This by a count of eighty-one to sixty-nine, and Utah Valley, they are now your most profitable team. In all of college basketball against the spread this year, 22-9 for Colorado. They went just 4 of 19 from 3, Utah Valley. They shoot 56% from the floor, 9 of 17 from 3 with Trey Woodbury leading the way. 7 boards, 7 assists, 25 points for Colorado. They were able to get 21 points out of Lawson Lovering, but not enough as Utah Valley, despite losing the turnover battle 13-12, they get it done as you had down low. Aziz Bandogo be able to give you a pair of blocks to be able to help out the cause as well. And then we also did see Miami take down Indiana. 85-69 to was the final in this one. As for Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 5 blocks. Not enough as no Chad Omir. He was able to supply 17 rebounds as Miami just destroyed on the boards. 48-31. to they were even up in terms of turnovers, but Isaiah Wong, he was Mr. Right. Four of six from three-point range, 27 points. Miami's able to advance to the Sweet 16. And Florida Atlantic, it was a little bit hairy, but they advanced to the Sweet 16 as well. They take down Fairleigh Dickinson by a count of 78-70. to 70, And Fairleigh Dickinson had a chance late in this game to be able to cut it to a two-possession game with... I would say about 20 or so seconds remaining. This shot was just begging, as I believe it was Dimitri Roberts. 
who missed that layup. But regardless, a very impressive display from Fairleigh Dickinson. They got down double figures early, clawed their way back. Both teams went just 9 of 31 from 3. The big difference here was free throws as far and length, they go 11 of 18 at the charity stripe, just 7 of 10 for Fairleigh Dickinson, who, despite being one of the shortest teams in all of college basketball, held in there on the glass. Florida Atlantic, they win the rebound battle just 47 to 44. You did have Roberts, who missed that layup, go off for 20 points, and it was John L. Davis who bailed out Florida Atlantic on this night. 29 points, 5 steals, 5 assists, 12 rebounds as FAU also won the turnover battle 11-7, and we also did see Oregon take down UCF in the NIT, 68-54 the final. Oregon currently playing without Infali Dante, but still won the rebound battle by a count of 40-31 for Oregon. 18 turnovers in this game, not necessarily the way that you draw it up for Central Florida. 5 of 30 from 3-bar engine shot 30.5% from the floor, so... They were just cold in general, and what has been cold in general recently has been overs. The overs in the NCAA tournament were able to do relatively solid, and same with the CBI. That helps when you have every single game go to overtime, but in the last seven days in college basketball, NCAA tournament, NIT, CBI. Unders hitting at a 66.3% clip, 55 unders to 28 overs in this time span as well, including all these tournaments. Favorites relatively even up. 41, 40, and 3 against the spread. So that's what we all saw in college basketball on Sunday, and that's what we're getting trend-wise in college basketball. Coming up next, we are going to be joined by Justin Perry. We're going to be taking a look at some of these Sweet 16 matchups. We're going to get his thoughts on the first week of the NCAA tournament, and we're also going to be picking his brain as to what we've been all seeing in totals and what we could expect in the Sweet 16 and beyond. That's up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of DC Family Hunt. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. 
I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't me? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. It is always great to be joined by this man. Justin Perry does amazing work over at Shock Quality Bets as he does absolutely incredible work taking a look at the great game of college basketball. I know that he has joined me a lot this season on this very podcast as well as the Greg Peterson Experience, which you're able to catch at midnight to 3 Eastern time most nights aside from when I'm on Sundays, that's an hour earlier on Sundays, slash very, very early Mondays if you're out there on the East Coast. But Justin, he just does a great job taking a look at all these teams, putting numbers to what we're actually seeing out there on the court. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at Justin Perry and the number eight all together. And Justin, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. It is always a good time joining the podcast, getting to touch on a few of the things we're seeing in honestly one of the most fun sports to handicap and bet and be a part of and track there's just so much going on there's never a dull day or a day without a story it's my favorite sport by far and people are like how do you love seeing these kids play basketball there's so much craziness and it's like you know that variance and that madness that's part of this every day kind of keeps you sane because you get to chalk up crazy results to it just be in college and helps you understand that you are playing a game you know it's not pros that are getting paid to do this well not as much to do this i guess (laughs) but it's the best sport it's the best weekend of the best sport so i've watched a lot of basketball this weekend same here it has been an absolutely tremendous week of basketball in general and what was the biggest standout to you because i think obviously at the top of the list it's a fact that purdue loses to fairly dickinson but to me, it just feels like, and it's really hard to quantify this. I know you guys over at Chalk Quality Bets do an absolutely tremendous job of being able to put numbers to what we're all seeing out there, but I don't think that there's any exact metric to take a look at coaching, and I feel like that's been so important here in the first week of the tournament. Kansas going down to Arkansas, I don't think that that happens if Bill Self is out there on the court, and I think we need to call into question one the world Matt Painter is sinking in NCAA tournament games because this is the third straight year he's lost to a team seated 13th or lower. You got to do what gets you to the tournament, what gets you through to these levels, these big games. Painter clearly a little afraid to have his guards force the ball into Edie. He was getting back down pretty well. Uh, that was one of the most sensational things. It wasn't just the result. 
but seeing that smaller FDU team totally able to take out one of the biggest players in the game, awesome to see. I mean, there were some other really big standouts to me. I did think that that Arkansas win was a massive one. Kansas, obviously, just a one-point loss, so it wasn't like it was that crazy. Arkansas was like a two, three-point underdog, so it wasn't the biggest upset we've seen, but at the same time, just not seeing a champion get to the second weekend now in six years. And I feel like the way it happened, too, with Kansas taking control the first 30 minutes, it's like, all right, we've got the champ with a double-digit lead. You figured they'd be able to close it out, so I think the way it happened was bigger, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And look, I mean, I had Arkansas in my bracket. Um, I'm not going to sit there and say that I just thought that was going to happen. I just thought it was a good chance compared to how many people were picking Kansas. But I thought it was pretty crazy to see it go down the way it did. There's, you know, there's still a lot happening in terms of, of crazy games. I mean, we saw, you know, Penn State give Texas a run for their money at the end there. Really strong Penn State team did not go out with a whimper, but with a roar. I really liked seeing that. I like Jalen Pickett a lot. He's been a great player to watch. I think a lot of eyes on the San Diego State-Alabama matchup for the Sweet 16. I think that's going to be a fascinating one. I really wouldn't you know, consider Maryland to be the most physical of teams in terms of what they provide on defense. So very interested to see what San Diego State brings against, I would assume, the favorite for the championship at this point. I mean, especially with Houston hurting, you don't know how strong they're going to be playing the winner of Miami-Indiana, which is yet to finish the time of our talking. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. I'm really excited to see how, you know, this UCLA team handles their final matchups to get out of their region. You know, some of those teams that they have to go through are, are really good. And I thought Northwestern put up a great fight. I really thought they had them on the ropes, honestly. So I'm not feeling great about UCLA either. A lot of these top teams, you know, looking a little shaky. There's a real chance that only one Final Four team is a one suit. And you mentioned it, Alabama most likely the favorite going into the Sweet 16. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Justin Perry. He does great work over at Chalk Quality Bets. And how do you evaluate the San Diego State versus Alabama game? Because... I personally feel like this line should be right around about five and a half or so. Right now, we're seeing most places with about a six and a half to a seven. And San Diego State, I think, actually benefits because early on in the season, they were playing a little bit more up-tempo. They really got back to their roots, slowed things down, really embraced their good defense towards back half of the season. But I feel like San Diego State is a little bit more equipped this year to take on a more up-tempo team like an Alabama this time around rather than past years. I think that that might serve them well and keep them in this game. Totally agree with you. We have shot quality making this one a two-point game. Two and oh, a half, wow. actually. Yeah. So we have this one as San Diego State staying very, very close. We rate their defense as the 25th best in the nation, their offense as the 44th best in the nation. Of course, Alabama comes in with our top-rated offense and 45th-rated defense. So going to be not that far off i mean i know that sounds like a lot but you know the defense and the physicality and what the san diego state team is able to do limiting open three rates only seven teams had a like lesser open three rate allowed this year than san diego state and that was against a strong mountain west they were able to do that they really defend off the dribble three pointers very well very hard to get those types of looks against them so those shot creation types of things that you see some of the wings for alabama sort of open up i think might get taken away and then you know defending the rim as well they're pretty solid at the rim not exactly going to be the top team against it but still pretty consistent teams don't go at them at the rim too much they see a very low frequency of plays that finish at the rim because they are pretty dominant 
and teams know you can't just go get those easy buckets. So it uh, should be very interesting to see how it ends up going. Alabama loves the valuable shot, right? They're really good, not only because they have these playmakers, uh, top five in shot selection and number one in spacing, but also second in rim and three rate, Greg. So getting really, really valuable shots for the majority of their possessions. They do not take mid-range shots very much. 360th in the nation in mid-range frequency. So they're getting really valuable shots, and it's really just about can San Diego State force them off the three-point line and stop them at the rim. So it's going to be very interesting to see if they can force them to do things they're maybe not super comfortable with. I think San Diego State's ability to defend the cut action should help a lot there. But, you know, Alabama does everything well. Alabama does a lot very well. I do agree with you there. As Justin Perry, he does amazing work over at Jock Wally Betts. He is joining me on the podcast. And, Justin, I do take a look at the NCAA tournament and year in and year out. We talk about teams that – they peak in March. They're playing their best basketball this time of year. Who do you feel like has really been one of those teams that perhaps the metrics don't match up how they're with how they're playing right now? Because I take a look at this Texas bunch who's going to be getting Xavier in the Sweet 16, and I think that they've got a very clear path to the Elite Eight. And you mentioned it a little bit before with Houston and all their ailments. They've got a very valuable opportunity there if Houston does not enter into that game 100%. They're a team that I've really been looking at as one that has been turning the corner. I'm not sure if another one comes to mind for you, but I do think that that's always very important to be taking a look at in March. And Texas is a team that I've sort of highlighted with this respect. It's definitely been one of those tournaments, Greg, where you want to make sure that the teams that you're supporting, I suppose, are the teams that, you know, really feel like they're actually playing well right now. We've seen UCLA play pretty well in the tournament. Bama, Connecticut, all putting forward like pretty consistent performances i've been impressed with tennessee i think that was one of the bigger upsets i know when i was talking a little bit about the tennessee team a lot of people were saying that you know they wouldn't really stand much of a chance against duke and i think this is one of the benefits from looking at expected data instead of box score data right like duke coming off of a pretty big win against oral roberts well Shot quality actually rated that only as a single possession win for Duke based on the expected scores, likely indicating they had overperformed or their opponent had underperformed. And that's the type of information I think you need to combine with the box scores to get a real pulse on the market. So, you know, some of the games that had interesting results over the last couple of days going into the Sweet 16 for me, uh, specifically, the big one was honestly seeing Houston kind of struggle against Auburn. Shot quality rated that as a very tight game having Houston expected to lose based on the shot quality by 0.4. So I'm kind of looking at Houston as a little bit of a target. I think UCLA and Texas also both expected to lose their shot quality scores. So could have sort of seen a little bit of luck contributing to both of those teams advancing. Again, that's sometimes experience. It's sometimes luck. It's a combination of the two. But I wouldn't be shocked, especially if we get good efforts out of the other side of those matchups. I wouldn't be shocked if I'm on the other side of them. Uh, I know it's going to be tough to fade Houston, but I think either team coming out of that 4-5 is going to give them a real run for their money. Uh, I feel the same way about the 3-6 TCU-Gonzaga matchup against UCLA. And Texas, I feel like, you know, we know this one's going to be Xavier. Uh, That's going to be an incredible game. I probably lean Texas. I want to see how Xavier did on their shot quality. I don't really look at the test they had to face in Xavier for Pittsburgh to be like the same caliber. I feel like Texas had a really good test already in Penn State. Xavier, you know, Kennesaw played really well, actually, but now they kind of got almost one where they 
maybe got a little comfortable in Pittsburgh and it could lead to Texas coming out hot and them not being prepared. So really interesting. But yeah, I really think going against UCLA and then also most likely Houston are going to be sharp plays in the next round. I do take a look at the next round of games. I think that we're going to have a lot of really good ones as Justin Perry over at Chocolate Bets is joining me on the podcast. And we're doing this ahead of the Fairleigh Dickinson versus Florida Atlantic game. But if Fairleigh Dickinson survives in advance, that would be quite a <laughs> shocker. And when it comes to Florida Atlantic, they would be playing against Tennessee. How would you view that game? Because I do think that that's one of fascination because Florida Atlantic, there's not necessarily one thing that they do great. I don't know if you disagree with me, but when I take a look at Florida Atlantic, they're sort of one of those holes greater than some of its parts teams. They're efficient and solid on offense. And they're efficient and solid on defense. They've got a lot of guys that just contribute to the cause. They've got good depth. And they're sort of like what Tennessee is, only Tennessee, they do have a little bit of better athletes. But I think that that would be a very interesting matchup. I know that you were talking about people being a little bit too low on Tennessee, and no doubt I'd be setting them as a favorite in this spot. It's going to require looking at the Florida Atlantic game against Fairleigh Dickinson itself for me to determine my number. But how do you evaluate that sort of matchup? Because I do think that that's one in the Sweet 16 that will be a fascination. Yeah, this is actually a really interesting one. I totally agree with you, by the way. They maybe have like one thing that they do well. They do a lot of things well. There's not really much you can do to like shut it down. It's kind of why I like them against FDU. Of course, people will be listening with the result while we're recording without it. But yeah, FAU, just they look so good in terms of their metrics. Their advanced metrics look great. Really high uh, spacing rating, really high rim and three rate, really good open three rate, good shot makers, good shot selection. Very honestly, really hard to find a team both in the top 20 percentile of shot selection and shot making. But FAU is in both. So kudos to them for having smart decision makers and good shot makers. I do think Tennessee, though, is exactly the recipe to kind of stop that. I just think it's hard to do anything well against Tennessee. They are literally this like sludge that just tries to slow you down and stop you, and they effectively limit your shots. They have good defenders, and I know the absence of Zakai Ziegler was a little bit overblown in the Duke game. I still think people probably a little bit too down on this Tennessee team. Shot quality is going to project this one to be a pretty large spread coming in at around 11 and a half points. So we really think Tennessee will wallop FAU. The interesting thing here is that, you know, the Tennessee defense, it does allow for like good looks. The shot selection isn't crazy. They've had good, they've allowed shot makers to do their thing. They let opponents get to the free throw line a pretty fair amount but like when you get into their real strength it's limiting the three tennessee just really does not allow their opponents to take good three-point shots and they outperform their defensive expectations almost on the regular like our shot-based expectations would tell you they should be a little bit worse than they are but it's so regular at this point that you have to just come to accept that they are better than shot-based metrics might think they are. Like, they have that it factor, that X factor on defense. They disrupt shots more than our metrics can probably understand. And so that's why we have a little bit of some of these discrepancies here. But no, I really think they're one of the most elite defenses left in this tournament. They shouldn't be slept on. And if I get a number on Tennessee that's, like, smaller than 7 or 8, I'm definitely going to be on them. Tennessee has been such a great defense all season long. The losses of guys equal, no doubt about it, does affect this offense. But with Tennessee, they are one of the deeper teams in all of college basketball. And Santiago Vescovi, a very good ball handler as well. So I do think that that is of significance in this matchup as Justin Perry over at Chalk Quality Best is joining me on the podcast. And Justin, I do want to get your take 
uh, what we've been seeing in these NCAA tournament totals as well. Because, I mean, over 70% of games in the NCAA tournament thus far, as we record, have gone under. Has there been anything that you've identified with this? And do you think that that is going to linger on into the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight? Because one thing that does stand out to me about the next round of games is that we don't have any football stadiums that these games are going to be played in. Like, typically, when it comes to Sweet 16, you're going to get a few of those that we really don't have that with places like T-Mobile Center, the KFC Yum Center, which that's always one of the most delicious venues in all of college basketball. They're all going to be hosting games. So I do think that it is going to be interesting to take a look at these totals moving forward. Oh, oh well, I mean, you remember how the Big East tournament looked in MSG, right? Those rooms oh, yeah. were terrible. Uh, every No one could shoot. So I think there might be something for the unders to continue to be at play here. I know they've been, it's been another strong day for them. A few games starting to go over, but I, I just think that, you know, these buckets, especially late, they really start to matter. Like, that's what it ends up coming down to, is you get elongated possessions. Things start to nosedive a little bit in the second half on games, become a little bit more in the balance. And I think you need to be able to sort of take advantage of that, especially if you see, like, a first half that's really hot and both teams are just shooting the lights out. You definitely can feel good if you have, like, a 10-point cushion or so on close. I think games can tend to really just, like, shut down. You get, like, runs. We saw just, like, the Xavier game. Um, it's just, like, they were they had an 80-point first half, and I think they had, like, you know, it was expected to be another 80-point second half. And even with all the fouling at the end, they still didn't get there. So I think people are a little afraid of those late-game fouls uh, for overs right now and have tend to lean towards overs. But you just got to trust unders a little bit right now. My only concern is, like, when you get a team that maybe has a high frequency at just shooting up threes if they're losing. That's the only thing I would be concerned about. You want to make sure that your underplays are on teams that, like, try to grind it out on defense not really just shoot their way out of any potential deficit. Yeah, it's so interesting to take a look at these totals. And we've seen a lot of games as well just sort of die in the second half in the NCAA tournament as well. Because typically, you're going to notice that the second half totals are always higher than the first half totals because you get late game felling, things of that nature. So I do think that this has been a fascinating tournament, to say the least. And Justin, I know you and everyone else over there at Chalk Wally Bets are doing an amazing job taking a look at the big dance. I know that you have joined me a lot on this podcast, on the Greg Peterson experience, on VSIN. You're one of the hardest working men in the business. A lot of the good people at home know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Quite the compliment coming from you, Greg. I do get a few hours of sleep every night. Maybe not this week, but no, you can definitely check out all the work we do, everything that we're putting out. It should be another really great week for shot quality and shot quality bets. So follow us at shot quality bets. Check out the website, shotqualitybets.com slash March Madness uh, has been a pretty good March Madness for us. Honestly, our, our value bracket is actually doing really well. Give us a follow. Check it out. Shot quality is really just about being expected metrics in basketball, trying to give you a new way to sort of see the game instead of just being all about box scores and seeing the same info that everyone has. We try to just get another layer, another data point for you to help get a good look at what's actually going on in the game. Justin does an amazing job of putting numbers to what we're actually seeing out there on the court. He has been doing an incredible job all season long, taking a look at college basketball, finding a value and Every single time he joins this podcast, always lends those tremendous insights, much like he did today. A big thanks to Justin for joining me on Coast to Coast. He's now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, 
Not the biggest slate of games in college basketball, but we've got the quarterfinals of the CBI that's going to be going down. I'm going to give you guys fix some analysis on all four of these games coming up next as we hit some big shots. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's it. going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of it. Like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. I mean, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. And we're back here at Las Vegas for Just Guess Seats with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to get Justin Perry aboard. He does great work over at Shock Quality Bets, taking a look at the game that we all know and love of college basketball and doing an amazing job of being able to put numbers to exactly what we're seeing out there on the court. He has joined me all season long on this podcast. Every single time he joins me, he lends amazing insights, much like he did today. Big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do you note know that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRS41. The order is very simple as we've got four games on the board. They're all a part of the CBI and they're all in time order. So there is no confusion that is going to be had on these games. So let's get things started with 601-602 on the board. It is Eastern Kentucky. They're going to be playing against Indiana State. All four of these games, by the way, out in Daytona Beach, Florida at the Ocean Center as Indiana State is a favorite of five and a half points. Your total on this game, it is 153 and a half. Opened up at 154 and a half. And 153 and a half, still a buy point for me on the under. Would not want to be going any further lower than this, but I am still willing to buy in on the under because you've got an Indiana State team that though they play very quickly. This team has been playing at one of the faster paces than we've been seeing in all of college basketball. They've done a really good job with their defense as Indiana State sort of has that whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach to rebounding as they are sixth in the country in terms of defensive rebound rate. Opponents only grab a offensive rebound on 20.6% of their misses, so that has allowed them to be really fortified on defense. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Indiana State 55th in the country. They are allowing right around 8.3 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home, but have been very impressed by this team. And you do have an Eastern Kentucky team that they're looking to go quite up-tempo as well. Both of these teams are actually very similar in terms of their tempo. As Eastern Kentucky, 61st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Indiana State right on par at 64th. But with Eastern Kentucky, they're a team that they gamble quite a bit for steals as they've done a great job being able to grab 8.1 steals per contest. They are headlined by two guys and Michael Moreno and Devontae Blanton. They've been able to combine for about 37.8 percent three-point shooting, 28 points. They both give between 6.4 and 6.5 rebounds per game, and Isaiah Kozar has been able to do a relatively solid job down low as well. He's been able to give this team right around seven rebounds per game, and while Eastern Kentucky does a good job of being able to grab offensive rebounds, be able to give themselves second chances, in terms of their defensive rebound rate, it does leave a little bit of something to be desired, which is a big reason why they're 139th in the country. There's points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they are giving up 11.5 points more per runner in possessions when they leave home. This is also an Eastern Kentucky team that, outside Moreno Bland, you don't have a lot of three-point shooting, as nobody else on the roster is averaging more than 2.5 points per game. Shoots above 33.3% from three-point range. Meanwhile, for Indiana State, it's a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach. Cavissier McCauley. 
16.6 boards, shoots about 37.9% from three-point range. And then you've got someone like a Julian Larry. He gives you 3.3 assists, 1.3 steals, shoots 46% from three. Doesn't take a lot of shots, only about seven points per game, but does a rock-solid job there. And then Cam Henry, Robbie Avila, Cooper Nice, they all give between 3.9 and 4.9 rebounds per game. Henry has been able to dole out 3.8 assists. You've got Henry and Nice combining shoot 37% from three-point range. These guys do a great job of just adding to the collective unit, and this team goes right around eight or nine deep. I like the way that Indiana State is set up. It's an Indiana State team that they do need to fend off of the Eastern Kentucky ability to be able to generate turnovers, but for Indiana State, 11.8 turnovers per game with their style. That is pretty darn rock solid. I do think that Indiana State going to be able to clean up the glass, and this is also the early game, 9 a.m. Pacific Eastern time. That is noon, so I did shade down my total just a little bit, which is why I'm on this under. I set my total at 153, so here at 153.5, diving under with Indiana State. I think they win from within. Set them as a 7-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number. 6.03, 6.04 on the betting board. It is Southern Utah, and they're going to be taking on Rice. We give our Odelaine Kiffin. Go Owls, as Rice is between a 6 to a 6.5 point underdog, and your total it is between 162 and 162.5. I set Southern Utah as a 6.5 point favorite, so here at 6, it is my buy point on Southern Utah. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Southern Utah is dealing with a little bit of a changing of the guard as their coach in Todd Simon, he decided to take the Bowling Green job, so now they're dealing with an interim coaching regime. That did not seem to slow them down in their first game, though. As a matter of fact, it was pretty much their biggest offensive masterpiece all season long. They held North Alabama to 50 points, just pounded them into oblivion, winning that game 72-50, to and the big thing for Southern Utah has been their rebounding all season long, and... They won that rebound battle 50-47. to 47. Wasn't necessarily supreme or anything like that, but you know what? You still have a lot of guys that they do a nice job of being able to hit the glass. As Harrison Butler, Mason Fawcett, they combined for 13.3 rebounds, about 23.2 points per contest. Fawcett at 6'6", six six, shoots 36.5% from three-point range, and nobody for Southern Utah really opted out. You've got a headline scorer in Tavion Jones that has stuck with it, 17.5 points, 4.5 boards. He shoots 36.5% from three-point range. Drake Allen shoots 37% from three-point range. So all of your main guys are still there for Southern Utah. It's just the interim coaching regime that takes hold. For Rice, they need to have Max Fiedler, who's been very versatile, take over this game. 10.7 points, 7.4 boards, 5 assists per game. So he's been able to do a solid job there. And both of these teams do leave a little bit of something to be desired on the defensive side of things. So I do feel like Southern Utah, without having Todd Simon out of the fold, they are looking to play a little bit more slowly. I noticed that in their game against North Alabama. They're overall 180th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game. Rice, I mean, they are 319th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It has been far from terrific to say the least, but keep in mind that the top seats, they all got a day of rest. So Indiana State, in that first game, they got a day of rest. Rice, they have to go on back-to-back days. So they're Utah. They got a day of rest, which is big when you're dealing with a pair of teams that they do like to push a tempo. Rice, they're about 54th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, Drive CV, Quincy Oliveri, these guys have been solid, giving you 33 points per contest. Oliveri shoots 37% from three-point range, but it's a Rice team that they don't necessarily hold up at the point of attack on defense. They turn the ball over 13 times per contest. Southern Utah gets a little bit loose with it as well. 13.1 turnovers per game. They could use a little bit more out of some of their ancillary guards like A.D. Barnes, who shoots 42% per three, but only gives you about five and a half points per game. Cam Ely, six points per contest. He shoots about 39% from three-point range, but I do like what I've been seeing out of the Southern Utah team. It is a rice bunch. 
They've had a little bit of a struggle to score. 74 points or fewer, and now four out of their last six games. I do think that they're going to be throttled down a little bit by the fact that this is a back-to-back spot in Southern Utah. I like the way that they slowed down a little bit in that game against North Alabama. I feel like the interim coaching regime trying to take down the tempo a little bit more, so I did set my total at 160.5, diving under with Southern Utah. One to lay six or less with them. This is going to be my DK Nation write-up. 605-606 on the board. San Jose State takes on Radford. Radford is a 6 to a 6.5 point underdog, and your total on this game is 127, and my write-up is going to be on San Jose State. I set them as a 9-point favorite. San Jose State has been mauling teams on the glass. They are in the top 10 nationally in terms of rebound rate, and they've got three separate guys aside from Mountain West Player of the Year, Amari Moore, that all give you at least six rebounds per game. Abrima Diallo is your shot blocker, 6.2 points, 6.1 boards, 1.7 blocks per game. Robert Viola, just a back-to-the-basket big man, 7.5 points. 6.4 rebounds, and then Sage Chilbert is able to stretch the floor. 8 points, 7.3 rebounds, shoots about 33% for 3. And then Amari Morris, since the beginning of the month of February, 4.5 boards, 4.5 assists, 20 points per game while shooting 35.5% for 3-point range. He's able to flat-out dominate for a San Jose State team. That's already won 22 and 11 against the spread this season, and for Radford, they've been dealing with a lot of turmoil. For one, if you're looking at things on the court, they had to go to overtime yesterday with Tarleton State. San Jose State, they were able to win by 20-plus against Southern Indiana in game number one. So while they were able to rest up a little bit more, you've got a Radford team that had to play 45 minutes of basketball yesterday. That's not necessarily too terrific. And they've been playing a game of musical chairs as Darius Nichols. I hate to bring it up, but he was arrested due to a drunken driving rest. And why this is of significance is because because he had to be away from the team for four games, returned on Sunday for the team, and it feels like Radford, ever since that incident, they haven't been playing as good a defense. They've given up at least 69 points in four of their last five games. Prior to that, they had given up 66 points or fewer in 12 out of their last 16. So I do think that that is worth bringing up for that reason. It is a Spartan team that... Overall for the season is 196th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I mean, this team has really been able to dial in late as in each out of their last seven games, they have given up 68 points or fewer in regulation. They did play an overtime game against Nevada, but when it came to the regular 40 minutes of regulation, they held them to below 68 points. You do have a Radford team that has a pretty solid backcourt. I do like what Brian Antoine along with Daquan Smith have been able to bring to the table. Both of these guys have been able to combine for 25 points. They both shoot a little bit north of 40% from three-point range. Down low, they should be able to do an okay job of matching up down low. I don't think that they win the battle down low, but you've been able to have Shaquan Jules do a rock-solid job all season long. Seven and a half points, six rebounds per contest, but this team has also been without one of their main big men as well as Justin Archer, who's been able to supply you with about six rebounds per game. He has been out of the fold as well, and that's going to be of significance because I mean, you saw Radford lose the rebound battle to a Tarleton State team that was 326th in the country going into the game yesterday. So I do think that this is a Radford team that can be had down low. It's a Radford team that's a little bit out of sorts. Brian Antoine dealt with an injury late in the season as well. So my write-up here is on San Jose State. I do think that they continue to roll, get the job done, set them as a nine-point favorite. So going to be willing to lay the number. And I do think that we've went a little bit too low with this. So I recognize that San Jose State is a team that ranks in the 
Bottom 30 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, but this Radford defense has been getting chewed up lately. And on top of that, you've got a San Jose State team that comes in with some confidence, being able to get past the 77-point plateau in two out of their last three games with Amari Moore being able to headline that charge. It's up by total 133. I'm going to be looking at the over. And with San Jose State, that is my DK Nation write-up. I made them a nine-point favorite, and we wrap things up with 607-608 on the betting board. It is UW-Milwaukee playing against Charlotte. I'm doing this just as UW-Milwaukee pulled it out in overtime against Stetson. And early number I am seeing, Charlotte being a 5.5 point favorite. Total is 140.5, but the only book I'm seeing this at is not in the United States, and the juice on the under is minus 134. We shall see how that moves. I set my total at a 140.5 as well, so that would be a wait and see. But if the juice would be at minus 140 to the under, I do have to think that we're going to be seeing this number probably be a little bit less than 140, and that would put me on the over end with UW-Milwaukee. I set them as a 4.5 point dog, so I will be willing to take 5.5 in this ordeal. It's a UW-Milwaukee team that they have been giving up quite a few points. This bunch has given up at least 80 points and now each of their last six games, but it's a very good offense that has a nice headline scorer, B.J. Freeman, who overall for the season has done a nice job supplying you with about 17.5 points per game. He went off for 43 against Setson, and since the turn of the new year, he's averaging well over 20 points per game. He's able to give you five boards, three assists per game, and the big thing for UW-Milwaukee is that they've got balanced rebounding. Among their top six scorers, five of them entered into yesterday with at least 4.3 rebounds per game. Now, they played an overtime game, which means that they're going to be a little bit more tired in this circumstance, and UW-Milwaukee already playing at one of the most up-tempo paces in all of college basketball. They entered into yesterday in the top 20 with that regard, going up against the Charlotte team as a complete opposite. Charlotte in the bottom 10 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, with Charlotte having Ali Khalifa. He's six foot 11. He's got very good versatility for this team. He's been able to supply you with about 11.8 points, 6.5 boards, 2.5 assists. UW-Milwaukee is right around 180th in the country in terms of points on a per possession basis. Charlotte more around 110th, but the main kryptonite of this Charlotte team is that they give up a lot of open looks from three-point range as they allow opponents to shoot 34.1% from three-point range. They're ranked right around 190th in the country, so that's a little bit of a concern. And UW-Milwaukee, they take away what Charlotte does well. Charlotte shoots 37.6% from three. UW-Milwaukee entered into yesterday 46th in the country. An opponent three-point shooting percentage. Bryce Williams is able to give you 13 points, five boards. He shoots 49% from three. And to the credit of Charlotte, among their top four scorers, three of them do give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. You've got some like Igor Milicic, who's able to give you eight points, four and a half boards. So he's been solid with that regard. And you do have balance scoring when it comes to Charlotte. Among their top five scores, four of them shoot at least 36.2% from three-point range. Charlotte does not get loose with the ball with 10.8 turnovers per game. UW-Milwaukee, they do have a turnover concern, 15.2 turnovers per contest. They're in the bottom 75 nationally in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. But they go up against the Charlotte team, only generating about 5.3 seals per game. That shouldn't be too much of a concern for UW-Milwaukee, so I do think that they're going to be able to hold in there anything of 140 or less with this total looking over 141 or higher to the under. I do think the UW-Milwaukee going to get things cranked up tempo a little bit more even with their overtime game yesterday and Charlotte having a day of rest and with the UW-Milwaukee anything of five or more going to be willing to take the points there and that will wrap things up. For the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Heaps, now part of the Visa Family Podcast, a big thanks to Justin Perry over at Chalk Quality Bets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Heaps, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google 
Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.